Tonight on NJ Spotlight News. Addressing the nation, President Biden urges the U.S. to stand with Israel in a rare Oval Office speech as Israel readies for a ground assault in Gaza. Making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. Also on high alert, law enforcement tightens security measures at New Jersey's synagogues and mosques as both the war overseas and protests nationwide intensify. It feels scary to be Jewish in the world right now. There are quite a few uh, incidents of Islamophobia against, uh, against Muslims and, and people are, uh, are really scared. Plus, suing the school, a father files a federal lawsuit against Cherry Hill School District and the state over its policy to protect transgender students from being outed. This policy unconstitutionally interferes with his right to direct the care and the upbringing and the medical decisions of his kids. And a new lease on life. This is the People's Park. The DEP breaks ground on its first phase to restore and upgrade one of the state's most popular parks. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted committed to the creation of a new, long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. The Biden administration today formally asked Congress for billions of dollars in emergency aid for Israel and Gaza, a package the president says will provide both military help and humanitarian assistance. There's also funding included for conflicts in Ukraine and elsewhere. The request was made during a rare primetime Oval Office speech Thursday night and comes as the Israeli Prime Minister's office confirms Hamas has released two American hostages, a mother and daughter from Chicago. Meanwhile, conditions in the Gaza Strip are deteriorating. More than 4,000 Palestinians have been killed, according to Gaza's health ministry. Humanitarian workers warn the shortage of fuel, food and water have created life or death situations, and trucks packed with supplies are being held up on Egypt's side of the Rafah crossing. President Biden, in his speech, called the need to help both Israel defend itself and the innocent civilians trapped in the deadly war an inflection point in American history. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. President Biden made his case for an unprecedented $100 billion foreign aid package, most of it intended to fund military operations in Ukraine and Israel to democracies at war and at risk. Emphasizing that America needs to lead the fight against terror, he renewed U.S. commitment is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. We're going to make sure Iron Dome continues to guard the skies over Israel. We're going to make sure other hostile actors in the region 
know that Israel is stronger than ever and prevent this conflict from spreading. I think that you should look at it as an investment. Ari Behar is a Somerset County resident with family in Israel. He says they welcomed Biden's support and the aid package. Behar's got cousins serving in the Israeli Defense Forces. Definitely there is a uh, sense of revenge and the rage is unbelievable. But I, I would say that most of the people in Israel just don't want innocent people to die. Biden's speech, only his second primetime address to the nation, came a day after he visited Tel Aviv. He spoke of Israeli grief and anger following the brutal October 7th Hamas attack. But Biden also addressed the plight of Palestinians caught in Israel's pounding retaliation and blockade of vital supplies. The United States remains committed to the Palestinian people's right to dignity and to self-determination. The actions of Hamas terrorists don't take that right away. We mourn every innocent life lost. We can't ignore the humanity of innocent Palestinians who only want to live in peace. They are not really trying to get rid of Hamas. They're just right now ethnic cleansing and doing genocide to a Palestinian people. Dua Abu Fares lives in Clifton. Her dad's in northern Gaza. He has dual citizenship but won't leave his family. She criticized the aid to Israel. When they're sending billions of dollars to Israel, they're basically harming more civilian, uh, Palestinian civilians because you're giving money to the people who's hurting us in the first place. The $106 billion request ties together aid for several purposes, including $61 billion for military aid to Ukraine, $14 billion for the aid to Israel, and $9 billion in humanitarian aid. Biden also explained he'd negotiated with Egypt to open the Rafah checkpoint and permit truckloads of food, water, and medicine to roll safely into Gaza. But he did not call for the ceasefire demanded by protesters and some members of Congress. Palestinians and Jewish communities across the nation have also reported a spike in hate crimes, including a six-year-old Palestinian boy stabbed to death just outside Chicago. Biden denounced the violence. We can't stand by and stand silent when this happens. We must, without equivocation, denounce anti-Semitism. We must also, without equivocation, denounce Islamophobia. The president also promised that securing release of American hostages held by Hamas remains his highest priority. As he spoke, thousands gathered in Times Square, including the sister of Idan Alexander, a Tanafly High School graduate who was serving in the IDF. Alongside more than 200 others, Idan is being held as a hostage in Gaza. So what happens next? With the House in disarray and unable to vote, not much, making the president's aid pass Package, a political hostage. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Jewish and Palestinian places of worship in the state are concerned the war will lead to anti-Semitic and Islamophobic attacks here at home. And while New Jersey's top law enforcement officials say there are no credible threats at this time, security is being tightened around mosques and synagogues just in case. Ted Goldberg reports. I would never have in a million years thought growing up that this would be what being a Jew in America was like. The war between Israel and Hamas has led some Jews in New Jersey to worry that anti-Semitism could rear its ugly head. It's, it's those payoff conversations you start to have with yourself. Am I wearing my kippah out in public? Michelle Malkin is the executive director for Temple Ne'er Tamid in Bloomfield, a synagogue that was attacked by a man with a Molotov cocktail in January. 
Thanks to security measures, no damage was done. Currently, Attorney General Matt Placken says there are no direct threats to houses of worship in the state. But synagogues like Ne'er Tamid are installing cameras, hiring armed security, and keeping police around. We had a, a huge interfaith rally with our partners. There was an ending. And I think now what we're seeing is, um, is sustained fear. When you see someone for the first time, the question isn't so much how are you, but how are you holding up? Lucy Fishbein is the senior cantor at Temple B'nai Jeshrin in Short Hills. The feeling that Jews are under threat, um, you know, when that gets amplified, it becomes perhaps so loud that even if you know on a rational level that um, your kids are safe, it doesn't change the fact that it feels scary to be Jewish in the world right now. Temple B'nai Jeshrin is also no stranger to anti-Semitism. Last month during Rosh Hashanah services for the Jewish New Year, someone called the police and threatened the synagogue. Services had to be held outside here in the parking lot until police could figure out that the threat was baseless. Coming together in community is in fact an act of sacred defiance that what people who are um, seeking to exterminate us or, or snuff out that experience of Jewish communal joy, that the best way we can stand up to that is to continue to engage in Jewish life. Religious community centers are also on high alert. The JCC in Edison upgraded its cameras eight months ago, and you need a key fob to enter the building. We're going to go about our business. We provide programs and services for thousands of people, and we're going to do that. We will adjust our level of security and enhance it to make sure that everybody feels safe. Law enforcement have been very supportive. Uh, they came to our community and said, look, we are here for you. Omar Mohammadi leads the Al-Falah Center, a mosque and Islamic center in Bridgewater. They have enough protection, but also people say, why do we have this? He says the Muslim community is also on edge, reminding him of the injustices faced by American Muslims after 9-11. It took a while for this community to feel, you know, they're back to normal. Uh, and, uh, and now sudden, and then this happened. Mohammadi's concern is people getting in trouble for posting pro-Palestinian content on social media. People have been suspended. That is not America, that's an American. Palestinians throughout the global Western diaspora are being arrested for protesting the genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. They are losing their jobs. Earlier this week, the Palestinian community spoke in Clifton about the hardships they've faced since the war started on October 7th. Our community has become a target across the country, a target of hate, injustice, and of exclusion. We reached out to the leaders of several other New Jersey mosques for comment, but we didn't hear back. Even if there aren't any active threats to mosques or synagogues, that's cold comfort for people worried about anti-Semitism or Islamophobia. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted Goldberg. Well, those fears of reprisal and bias attacks are adding to the mental toll this war is taking on loved ones here in New Jersey. Jewish and Palestinian leaders throughout the state say their communities are suffering, combating feelings of despair, helplessness, and exhaustion. Our mental health writer Bobby Breyer looked into how religious and local officials are taking extra steps to offer care and comfort. Bobby Breyer joins me now. It's great to have you back, Bobby. You know, whether you are directly connected, reading the headlines from afar, there's so much pain here. These are such horrific stories and images. What did you hear from the community leaders you spoke to about just exactly what people are grappling with? Yeah, the, the grief, the pain, the fear, and really a sense of, of helplessness among so many right now in New Jersey 
is immeasurable. The uh, community leaders and religious leaders that I spoke to have really pointed to the the need for folks uh, to be in community right now. In a sense, be around people who are also going through a similar experience, especially for those who have family in the region, uh, whether uh, those family members are still in that region or now they're returning home. Uh, it's so important for people uh, to be uh, amongst each other, to be speaking about the issues, and to continue to have ongoing conversations about this. Well, and we know Americans are not only uh, among those who mm -hmm. died, in the uh, Hamas attack, but there are folks who are hostages. There are Americans and New Jerseyans who are uh, trapped in Gaza. Mm -hmm. So that type of anxiety and not being able to get in touch with mm -hmm. their family, I mean, how do they even begin to remedy the level and the severity of crisis that this is? Yeah, uh, community leaders and religious leaders, uh, mental health professionals that I spoke to pointed to exactly that. It's just an extremely difficult time right now. Uh, some of these resources that have been offered uh, to kind of uh, cope with a lot of this has been things such as pastoral care. It's a type of counseling that offers um, mental health support with compassionate listening in addition to spiritual resources. Uh, but there's also been uh, open community forums, essentially where large groups of people can gather to just really vent and voice how they're feeling. And in that in and of itself is a form of healing. And that's been offered by both community and religious leaders um, for, throughout the state. What about just for families? It's inevitable, mm -hmm. obviously, the media coverage is everywhere. There's a lot of misinformation mm -hmm. out there. What's the recommendation being made for folks who have young children who may see this, inevitably may see it and have questions? How do you tackle such a big issue and keep their mental health uh, intact? Absolutely. Medical professionals uh, throughout the state that I've spoken to have really pointed to the fact that this uh, really families and children need to take a break from some of the social media that they're seeing to ration their exposure or limit it. Um, and, and while they're doing that, to have conversations about what they're seeing in the news uh, for people to uh, gain a better understanding. Uh, one mental health professional called it a better sense of a, an education around the issues that are going on in order to have uh, a better idea of, of what to look at and what to look for. So um, these are issues that are, are continuing uh, to come up for families uh, every day. Of course, most people have a cell phone right now and are seeing these images again and again. So uh, whether it's taking a break from social media or having uh, a more robust conversation around these issues are the two biggest things uh, that families and children could be doing right now. And it sounds like, of course, that these religious leaders are keeping their doors open uh, yes. extra wide right now so that people can get in touch. Absolutely. Yeah. Bobby Breyer, thank you so much. Uh, really important topic. Thank you. Thank you, Brianna. Well, Cherry Hill is the latest hotspot in the battle over parental notification policies. That's where a father of three high school students is suing the state to block a policy aimed at keeping schools from notifying parents of a change in their child's sexuality or gender identity. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, the federal lawsuit comes as more districts hold critical votes about parental rights. It'd be weird for my son to go in to school the first day as a freshman talk to a guidance counselor, change his names from, let's say, hypothetically, Denise from, let's just say from uh, Dennis to Denise and not me know it for, for four years. 
So Rick Schwartz filed suit against the Cherry Hill School District and New Jersey's Department of Education over its guidance that school districts adopt policies to protect the gender identity or sexuality of a student who hasn't yet come out to their parents. The legal constitutional basis is that this infringes upon the parents' 14th Amendment substantive due process rights to direct the medical care and health care decisions of their children. We're contending here that the plaintiff, the parent in this instance, who has three children in Cherry Hill High School, this policy unconstitutionally interferes with his right to direct the care and the upbringing and the medical decisions of his kids. Short has two older daughters and says his son, who's a freshman, has never indicated that he's transgendered or LGBTQ. I would know because he would tell me. Even still, Short's concerned that in the early weeks of school, Maybe a meeting with his guidance counselor, maybe she would want to change his name or something. And you have not felt the same concern about your daughters? No, because, well, I, never, I was more or less thinking about it from my son. I don't know why. I guess because he was a freshman. Michael Gottesman from the New Jersey Public Education Coalition says this case could mirror one recently brought in the Fourth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals in Maryland. The court ruled that the parents who filed the complaint didn't have standing and they dismissed the case because the parents didn't have any children who are members of the transgender community. If the Cherry Hill case that's going before the Third Circuit does move forward, Gottesman points to case law that could be used to defend the state. While the Supreme Court has established uh, you know, that parents' rights are important, there's an entirely different line of cases that deal specifically with child's rights and with the duty of a state and, and the state's interest in safeguarding the physical and psychological well-being of a minor. He says that's exactly what the policy that's being challenged, policy 5756, is intended to do. They've also sustained legislation that's aimed at protecting uh, the physical and emotional well-being of youth, even when it's a, in a sensitive area of constitutionally protected rights. Tom Stavola intends to argue that children can be harmed psychologically when they live a, quote, double life. Whereby they conceal their gender identity from their parents, that rarely leads to a positive psychological outcome, both in the near term and the long term. But Garden State Equality's Christian Fuscarino says it's all about timing for young people grappling with their identity. This is about ensuring that all students have a safe and affirming environment at school. These policies are to ensure that our young people can grow up in a healthy way and then share and reveal who they are to who they feel comfortable with when the time is right. Both the state and Cherry Hill have about two weeks left to respond to the lawsuit in court. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. After being hit with violations from the state attorney general's office, five towns have agreed to fix their websites for discriminating against LGBTQ plus residents applying for a marriage license. The state contends the towns at one point published marriage license forms online with language limiting them to heterosexual couples only and restricted gender options to only male and female, forcing non-binary and transgender residents to misgender themselves. 
The municipalities range from Estelle Manor in Atlantic County to Linden and South Toms River. The municipalities agreed to create policies that prohibit discrimination, remove limiting language from their websites, and train employees on the state's discrimination law. Liberty State Park is getting a makeover. The first phase of a revitalization project started this week to clean up a large section of the park that's been off limits to the public because of contamination. But as senior political correspondent David Cruz reports, the state's most visited park is still in the crosshairs of developers who want to commercialize the waterfront land. One, two, three. The groundbreaking marking the DEP's first phase of the Liberty Park cleanup and restoration attracted former governors and would-be mayors and would-be mayors and would-be mayors. The actual mayor was a no-show, but the presence of all the local politicos underscored how this state park and what happens next to it is of heightened local interest. The work announced by the DEP yesterday will begin a major transformational period for the park, which already attracts more than 4 million visitors a year. There is phase 1A, that is the cleanup of the long off-limits over 200 acres of some, some of which is polluted land that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, there's phase 1B, which is our immediate active recreation, arts and cultural development. And then there's phase two in the southern part of the park. It's that part of the park that has drawn a lot of attention from some residents and spawned the creation of the People's Park Foundation, funded by billionaire golf course owner Paul Fireman, who has long-eyed parkland at Caven Point for expansion. The foundation's director has a long history as a coach and recreation advocate in the city. Is the legend himself, Bob Hurley. Hurley's vision of a park with large-scale sports facilities and arenas appears to have been thwarted, but La Tourette also seemed to be nodding to the foundation when he used the phrase, This is the People's Park. Several times. When I speak of the People's Park, I am not speaking of any organization. I'm speaking to the reality, the legal fact, that every single natural resource in the state doesn't belong to the government. It belongs directly to the people all of the people. After the groundbreaking, the public was invited to check out and to give input towards the future phases of the park's restoration and upgrades. Jessica Jamraz designed the empty sky memorial at the park and was hopeful after a look around. There's two aspects of Liberty State Park, generally. Uh, the historical, cultural aspects that are uh, in this train terminal and the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, the Empty Sky Memorial. There's also the nature, um, the natural aspects. And I think that those two things could very well intertwine um, with, the, with the work that the Murphy administration is, is bringing forth. I think that there's great opportunity. Councilwoman Mira Prince Airy has watched the debate about the park's future from the west side of the city. She says this event marks an important step forward. I think the best way to get people to come together is exactly what we're doing here today. You have a very big platform, you throw out a lot of ideas, so everybody feels like their voice is heard. For me, everybody knows I'm you know, a big proponent of parks and also public art and spaces, so I'm excited to see some inclusion of that. I don't necessarily think that we need an amphitheater, but a place where you can have really great live performances that they're already doing. The vibe was so positive here that one lawmaker 
whose own nonprofit has received fireman money, promised more state funding to follow the initial $50 million. And we have a task force. I am the prime sponsor of the Liberty State Park Task Force attached with money. But who knows what the future holds for phases yet to come in this park. The state won't always have $50 million to toss its way. And there are forces with money standing by to make it available for the right parcel of land. In Jersey City, I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, New Jersey is setting up a trade office in Taiwan. Governor Murphy and First Lady Tammy Murphy made an unannounced visit to Taiwan today as part of a nine-day economic mission to East Asia, having already made stops in Japan and South Korea to deepen the state's academic, cultural and economic ties there. The new office will open in Taipei City in 2024 under Choose New Jersey, the state's nonprofit economic development organization. Murphy is the first sitting governor to visit Taiwan and touted the relationship for generating about $4 billion in value a year thanks to a decades-old sister state agreement. During the trip, Governor Murphy agreed to a number of other missions that will connect major higher education institutions in East Asia with New Jersey's universities and colleges, along with health care and trade agreements. On Wall Street, stocks fell today with all three major indexes taking a hit. Here's how the markets closed. Be sure to tune in this weekend to NJ BizBeat with Raven Santana. She looks at emerging trends in New Jersey's healthcare industry, including the competition between urgent care centers and primary care physicians, and why one local hospital chose to switch to a nonprofit model. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 on NJPBS. That's going to do it for us tonight, but make sure you check out a special edition of Chatbox with David Cruz this weekend called Ahora Si, Jersey's Latin Beat. David teams up with Que Pasa's Carlos Medina to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month in conversations with chefs, artists, and many more who are amplifying Latino voices across New Jersey. Watch Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here on NJPBS. That does it for us tonight. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you here on Monday. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.